We consider that an honor. So many of you have sent gifts and different things. We don't require them, but we, we eat them and put them out, flowers and all these things. So thank you. I believe that the Lord is going to do good things in my family. I still want number seven. We had two miscarriages after number six, but I'm going to keep doing my part to work for number seven. How many will do your part and pray for us that we can have siete bambino? Amen. And then I also believe in our plan is adoption. Many of you have heard about that we work with, um, what is it called, Lydia Home? Safe families, there it is, and we want to do that as well. Today I'm going to be talking to you about something that's quite serious. Uh, of course, every time you come here, the Bible is serious, but I don't want you to think that it's not that I don't love you or I, I wish uh, to say more encouraging things to you, but I do have a serious message from the book of Hebrews. It is probably one of the most serious texts you can ever read in the Bible, and we're going to get to it. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Thank you for coming here this morning. Glad that you're with us. Also want to let you know we raised over $5,000 for our missionary to Honduras. Let's give it up for Jesus. We have a video we want to play. He's in five different cities right now. This is one of the cities that he's in, packed stadium. God is just showing up, doing amazing things. So we gave uh, $2,500 out of our mission budget and asked you to give on top of that, and we ended up uh, more than doubling it. Thank you so much. Amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Everybody go, ah. Now, have you heard that before? You should. If you've been coming to second service and you've been listening to me teach out of the book of Hebrews, this should be something you have heard. I have said it over and over and over again. How should we look at the Old Testament? And then I pick up my phone, which is confusing to some people. Why am I doing that? But it's the thing that's closest to me that's of value. And then I say, what would you rather have, my phone or the shadow? Thank you. You guys have been paying attention. And then everybody says they would rather have the phone, okay? And what I was explaining by that is in the Old Testament, the sacrifices are a shadow of who? Jesus. The tabernacle is a shadow of Jesus, and everything else in between is a shadow of Jesus. Now we get to the conclusion of this point. The author of Hebrews, like a good preacher, has been taking us through the scriptures. He's telling it to the Jews verse after verse after verse, teaching it to them so they will not forget. And now he concludes with something you should start with when you explain the Old Testament to people. In other words, after all of the points of Hebrews and all of the things he has said, this is how he summarizes it, and this is where you can start when you explain it to people. So if somebody was to ask you, why in the Old Testament did they not eat lechon, what would you say? It was only a shadow of what? The bacon, I mean the good things to come. Is anybody up here today? <laughs> right? It was only a shadow. Not eating pork was a shadow of consecration to Jesus in your diet. I want to show you that in the scriptures. Let's go there. Not everything that comes out of... Uh, uh, not everything that goes into a man makes him defiled. Because I, I got some blank stares here, and I know some of you guys are new to the series. So let's go there. By saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. How many remember re reading that before? few of you? Okay, let's go there. It's going to be in the book of Matthew, or excuse me, rather Mark chapter 7. 
Go to Mark chapter 7, verse 19. And this will help you. Whenever you find that you're being, uh, you know, cornered by somebody who's sassy and says, well, why in the Old Testament did they do this? Why in the Old Testament did they do that? Why did they check? Let's, let's go back there because I want to help everybody. Go to Hebrews real quickly. Okay, so checking a woman's virginity on her wedding night was a... Y'all got quiet. Let's check it. Let's, let's try this again because this was a part of the law. They would see if the bed sheet was stained with blood. Everybody go, oh, that's gross. Okay, but that's in the Bible. And if you're not ready for someone to bring that up to you, what do you say? Oh, God was just crazy back then. He did nasty stuff. No, what are you going to say? That in the law was only a of the good things that are coming. What was the shadow of checking a woman's bedsheet? What, uh, what was that a shadow of? The purity of living for Jesus. Okay, there was no way to check a man's virginity, but you could check a woman's virginity. I'm not ashamed of that. I was a born-again virgin, but I would want my children to stay virgins. How many want that? But how many know I'm not checking their, their bedsheets after they get hooked up with their husbands? But why would you do that in a culture where there is no Maury Povich? Because you need to know who the Father is. Hello? Y'all get quiet on me now. Put up a slide from Maury Povich so everybody can see this. How many understand that's a problem in our culture? People having sex outside of marriage. And why is it important for the woman to know? Because she needs to know who her daddy is, the, the child's daddy is. We have that problem in our culture today. Because we haven't learned from the shadow to get pure. And then when you don't have it that way, how are you going to get it? you got to go get a DNA test. So please do not look at one of these uh, things in the Bible and think that they're bad. No, go, who is the father? You, know, get the, you can move that to the side and find the right image here. Because it came up on my feed. Maybe the phone was listening, as some people say. The other day, Maury Povich came up, and I was watching the highlights from that. And I'm like, people make fun of the Bible, and here they watch this, you know, screaming and hollering. How many remember this show right here? Okay? And when he would put these people up here, and then they would get the DNA test, and then his famous words are, you are not the father or you are the father. Okay? Everybody see that? Does the Bible have real-world application? You better believe it does, even in the Old Testament. And I always say this to people. If you want laws, don't follow the Muslim laws. Follow the Jewish laws. You won't be going around killing people. You won't be going around having multiple wives, taking sex slaves. It won't allow it. Even slavery in the Old Testament was outlawed. The only kind of slavery, as we would call it, it would be indentured servants, was allowed back then was because of debt or being conquered. How many know it's better to be taken into another person's home than to be killed on the battlefield? If you surrender, wouldn't you rather go work in somebody's house than to just be dead? Come on, y'all. Y'all y'all like, I would rather die. No, man, that's not what you would want for your wife and kids. The people of Israel would let you live with them if they conquered you. Now, somebody might say, well, what about the conquistadors? God didn't tell them to do that. But how many are glad God told uh, Israel to take over Canaan? How many wish we could take over Russia? Y'all get quiet right now. How many wish we could take over North Korea? Any, any bad people you think are on the world in the world today you wish you could take over? Well, God doesn't tell us to do it, so a nation has to decide what are they going to do, and you can decide in your own conscience if you want to fight a just war. In our country, we still allow people to be object, uh, have objections to going to war to be pacifists. That's in our country, by the way. You can be a pacifist. But listen to me. In the Bible, God commanded them, go to war. 
And when you would go to war, take captives. That's the way it was done. Now, if you think that is not a, the better way to do it, what do you think is the better way to do it? The way the Aztecs did it? Are you listening to me? Do you, do you think it was uh, 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 what the Zulu warriors did it? Come on, you don't want to do it like the Zulu warriors. You don't want to do it like the Aztec warriors. You don't want to, certainly want to do it like the Romans. I would rather do it like Israel. Can I hear an amen? Come on, you all got to go get to this Bible and get something good out of it. Now look at the scripture that I was mentioning before about Mark chapter 7. Look at Mark chapter 7 verse 19. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable because he had given them a parable and they didn't understand it. And he said, why are you so dull? <laughs> Y'all think Jesus was always like just like Barney or something? Do you see how Jesus responded to his disciples not understanding what he was saying? Have I called you dull yet? <laughs> it's a good day then for you, isn't it? But how many know that's, that, that's a possibility? You could get called that in church. Oh, y'all get quiet now. I need a sermon within a sermon and within us. I'm already on the second sermon within a sermon right now. We in inception world right now, a dream within a dream. Y'all with me? I'm about ready to go to the third sermon within a sermon. Is it okay for Jesus to call his disciples dull? Yes. Parents, it's okay to talk to your kids like this every now and then. Jesus gives you permission. What you don't want to do is treat them by the names you're saying continue. You don't want to always treat them like they're dull. You don't want to always treat them like they're ignorant and so forth. You can let them know their behavior is ignorant. You know, you got to let them know because at some point the words got to get beyond just, hey, I love you. How many know you guys, if you love somebody, you're going to say more than just I love you to them? How many know this is Jesus loving his disciples? And if you love your children, parents, you're going to say things to them every now and then more than just I love you, okay? So he told them a parable. They didn't get it. He said, are you so dull? He asked them, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into the stomach and then out through the body. In saying this, Jesus declared, how many foods clean? All foods clean. Now you understand why you can have lechon. How many are happy you can eat pork today? Amen? I like crawfish. I like lobster. Anybody like seafood, shrimp? You can have that today. Why is that? Because Jesus, going back to the passage of Hebrews, is fulfilling shadows. Not eating pork was only a shadow of a good thing to come. What is the good thing to come? You check your heart from evil like the Jews had to check themselves in their diet. And they just go back to Mark, and you can see all the things they got to check themselves in. He went on to say, in other words, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is within, talking about a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice. How many know those are bad things? But how many know bacon is good? Right? But why were they taught not to eat bacon, not to eat pork? Because they were taught in their spirituality to learn the difference between good and evil from their diet to their dress to their wedding night to everything in between. But they weren't, uh, the Jewish people weren't to look to that as the reality of everything. They were supposed to see it as only a shadow. Malice, deceit, lawless, lewdness is the real wrong thing. Pork is not really the bad thing. Shellfish is not really the bad thing because God made it all good and blessed it. How many remember that? Pork was not made on the eighth day. It was part of the sixth day or the fifth day, rather. God made it, and then, you know, it was blessed. When did he just decide to start cursing stuff or, or saying it was bad? It was when he wanted to teach them lessons to teach them about purity. Somebody say purity. 
Thank you. Lewdness, envy, slander, er arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from where? Inside. Where do they come from? Inside. And they do what to a person? They defile them. Thank you. Now go back to Hebrews. Here we are. I got a lot to cover today, but I believe we can do it. Powerful worship service, by the way. I'm just enjoying this moment in the spirit with you, but now I want you to have the word so you can work it as you go on about your day. The law is only a what? Shadow, thank you, of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Now, what is he going to do? He's going to point out one shadow, which is sacrifice, and he's going to spend time on it, and I'll just read through it because we've already gone through it in lessons before, and if I need to stop, I will, but I think most of us will get that Jesus is our sacrifice. He's the Passover lamb. That's what we'll be celebrating in Easter time. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeat endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have stopped? Would they not have stopped being offered? So if sacrifices from animals were good, why'd they have to keep offering them? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Verse 4, it is impossible, now highlight this please, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If it is impossible, why was it ever there to begin with? It was there as a what? Oh, I got half the church. Can I get everybody to say it with me? Why was it there? Because it was a shadow. Thank you. So it served a purpose. There was a reason for it. Jesus was showing them a lesson in the shadow. What's the lesson of the shadow of, of, of sacrifice? Things die because of your sins. How many get that? You're there watching a priest slit the throat of an animal, pour out the blood, splatter it all over the altar, sprinkle it onto you. What are you supposed to walk away after seeing that bloody mess? I shouldn't sin. If that's what happens when we sin, we shouldn't do it. I believe that's how serious we should take sin. But guess what? We should take it even more serious than an animal being butchered in front of us. Jesus died in front of us. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was beaten. Jesus bled out in front of all of us. How dare we, and this is where the seriousness comes from, how dare we now as Christians see the reality, not even the shadow, but the reality of Christ, and then not take sin serious. See, that's where we're going to be getting to today in our lesson, do not continue in sin. Everybody say that with me. Do not continue in sin. Amen. And the reason is, is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Verse 5, therefore, when Christ came into the world through the incarnation, you know, coming in the flesh, he is a sacrifice. He's an offering, right? And what does he say? He says this from the psalm. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, the Messiah is speaking, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. How many are glad Jesus became our sacrifice? So he says to them, hey, you guys had sacrifices, but they're not working. And the reason they're not working is not that because they could ever take away sin. That's not what he's saying. He was pleased at a time when they did it the right way. And what did that mean? That meant when they did the sacrifice, they had the fear of God. But then it got to the point, they were just sacrificing, they didn't care. They're just like, well, you know what? 
I'm forgiven of sin. The animal's dead. Let me just go out and do it again. I'll see you next year because they had a very important festival called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, once a year. Also like Passover as well. So they would say, hey, I know I'm a sinner. The animal is dead. I'll see you next year. I'm just going to keep on sinning. And that's why when Jesus came, literally fulfilling what the psalmist had said about him, Jesus speaks the words of the psalmist. He says, I know, Father, you're done with all of this, so you gave me a body, and now I'm here to do your will. Because they didn't take serious sacrifice and offering anymore. And how often now, think about it, because we're going to build up to this point, think about now, how Christians don't take Jesus serious anymore. I see people with crosses on, think about this, of the crucified Savior cursing, blaspheming, living in sin, and having no fear of God. Think about that. That would be like someone having a rest in peace shirt on. Anybody ever seen those in the hood when they pass away? Y'all still do that here in New Orleans? They used to do it all the time. And they would have a second line. After the funeral, they would start partying and putting out the band in the middle of the street. I don't think y'all do that here, right? That's crazy. But that's New Orleans for you. What's going on, man? Is there a party? No, it's a funeral. What? Okay, how does that work? Well, after we go to the gravesite, then we do a second line down the street, and we party, and that's what they would do. And, and most of the time, they would have the shirts on of the people that had passed. Now, imagine me meeting somebody wearing a shirt of somebody that they love and care about, and at the same time that they're wearing this shirt saying they care about this person, they're running their name through the mud, they're cursing about their life and they're showing no respect to that person. Do you think that person at the second line or at the funeral would be sticking around very long with the rest of the family members? Calling out that person's name, calling out all the bad things, all of the things they hated about that person. And in, in other words, speaking against them in such a way that got one dude slapped at what, the Emmys? <laughs> Come on. Do you think it would be okay to have that name in the mouth of the person who passed in that, at, at that funeral and there not be a consequence? And yet we do it with Jesus. People put the name of Jesus on their lips and then take his name in vain. People say they are a Christ follower. They say they are a Christian. 70% of Americans still say they're Christians and they don't live like them. We've even played some of the different videos here of these young YouTubers and stuff. They even call themselves a Christian, a Christ follower, and yet they're doing homosexual raps, homosexual songs, talking gay and all this, and they think that there's somehow an honor in that, that, that their lifestyle is different than their heart. So they can say, well, God knows my heart. But no, 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 we just read that thing, God, we did, because now it comes into play. That sermon in the sermon helped us. God said, I do know your heart, and it's actually wicked. See, they try to say it in a way like, hey, man, God knows my heart. Don't judge me. But it's like, hey, God does know your heart, and he is judging you. And God have mercy when we act like it's not a big deal. Christian today, listen to me. If you're here today and you're living in sin, it is a big deal. Yes, you can be forgiven. Yes, there's grace and mercy. But you ought not to take that as your permission, your get-out-of-jail-free card to keep using however you want. Because the preacher here, the one talking to us in inspired scripture, is about ready to make a point. That to me, personally, is the most serious scripture about Christians backsliding and living in sin. Are you all ready for it? Okay, let's keep going. 
So he said this about himself. You did not want sacrifice and offering, and that way you were done with it, but here I am to give my life for you. Now, verse 8, the preacher here is going to start breaking down the verse. So those of you who pay attention to what happens in Scripture, this is one of the only places where there is a verse-by-verse exegesis of a passage. It's in the book of Hebrews. In other places, they will quote Scripture, but here now, after he quotes it, he will now actually break it down in front of you. Notice this, verse 8. First he said... This is the author of Hebrews quoting now back what he just said. First, he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings, and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were in accord or offered in accordance with the law. Do you see his comment there? He's given you like a commentary for those of you who have like study Bibles. Here, this is amazing. Our apostle is doing this. Verse 9, then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. Here's his comment. He, talking about Jesus, sets aside the first covenant to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy or sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ for how long? Once and for all, praise God. Now, do you see why the Roman mass is wrong? We love our Roman Catholic friends and family, but it's wrong. What are they doing at the communion every week? They are offering up the sacrifice of Jesus again and again and again. That's why when you go to their cathedrals, he's always beaten and bloody, still hanging on a cross. Is that the way Christians are to look at Christ? No, we are to look back on it, yes, but as a sacrifice that was done, fulfilled once and for all. And how do we see him now? Resurrected at the right hand of the Father. Now check this before you wreck this. Watch. Is it any coincidence that the same people, the Roman Catholics, who see it as an ongoing sacrifice are the very ones who are in ongoing sin with no conscious problem, no issue? No, because they don't get it. It's no coincidence to me. The very ones who keep thinking they need to see Jesus crucified or represented at a mass every single time are the very same ones who say, I need to get rid of this junk in my trunk every single week, and there's no transformation. You see, if they saw the sacrifice as a once and for all, then maybe they would understand what it meant to be born again and set free from sins. For who the Son sets free is free indeed, and they would start living as new creations. Instead of being in the merry-go-round of I go to confession, get forgiven of sin, oh, I'm tempted again, I sinned again, oh, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Instead of going on in that broken record and merry-go-round, they would be on the path of holiness going from glory to glory to glory. Amen? That's why we as Pentecostals who believe in the power of the Holy Spirit are also people of holiness. Holiness and the Pentecostal movement go together like peanut butter and jelly. I'm serious. These movements have always been together in one way or another. Even the early holiness preachers who didn't understand everything about Pentecostalism still understood that the power of the Holy Spirit needed to be present in their services. And it was the early Pentecostals who were preaching the power, the miracle, the signs and wonders who knew that unless they were saved and sanctified, it didn't count for anything. So today, even though you are in a modern hoodie expression of the Pentecostal holiness movement, we still are very proud and honored of our roots, and we live holy here. We just don't believe it has to be shown in the shadow. So Joe, why aren't you dressing up like a priest? Because that was just a shadow of the good hoodie to come. And just so you can see the back of this, YOLO, you only live once, so you better live right. (laughs) Just in case you didn't think I was like, YOLO! 
no, 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 no. It's to get people's attention and be like, y'all better live right then because after this life is judgment. That's what the scripture says. So notice this. He's saying to them, it was once and for all. And what did that once and for all sacrifice do? It sanctified. It cleansed the person through and through. That's why I don't have to keep going to the cross to be saved. I've been saved. That's why I don't have to keep asking for sanctification. I've been sanctified. Now I need to live like it. I didn't get a good enough amen. Do you all understand that? You're not amening for me. You're amening if you get the point. I don't need Christ to die again because the first one that he did, that death on the cross, was enough to save me and I am saved. I don't need to keep asking God to change my heart, change my heart, change my heart because when I got, uh, became a Christian, I got a new heart. I became a new creation. Now where is the rubber meeting the road? I live like it. Now if I don't live like it, sure, I have to pray, Lord, forgive me, cleanse my heart, make me clean again. But what is the default of the Christian? Pure, sanctified, holy. Nancy, would you grab me a bottle of water from out my office, please? It will serve a dual purpose because I want to show you that I'm also thirsty. But guess what? That's how you're supposed to live as a pure bottle of water. You are not supposed to look at your life as a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde, part pure and part unholy. Would you drink that water today if there was part anthrax in it, part sewage water in it? Of course not. You wouldn't drink part swamp water today. So how are you to see yourself in Christ? As partially clean and partially dirty or all the way clean? Thank you, baby boo. Let's give it up for baby boo again. She's doing good. Come on. God bless you. Thank you, woman of God. This is the trick right here, doing it with one hand. I don't know if I can do it. Two hands. Thank you. You were going to help me. I got the other hand. I was just seeing if I could do it with one hand. There we go. There's something that always happens when a pastor, and I notice when we preach here, and he opens up a bottle of water and drinks it, somehow it gets over the whole table. Look at your neighbor and say, I believe he can do this. Mm. No mess. Here's the tricky part. Can I do this part without a mess? All right, good day in church. Back to the serious message. Are you ready? Okay. Are you a pure bottle of water in Christ or a dirty bottle of water? Pure. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, right? How many times did Jesus die on the cross? Once. How many times do you need to accept it? Once. There you go. That's your life. Most Christians do not see themselves that way, though. Most see themselves as being partially dirty still. And that's why even though they don't go to the Roman Catholic Church, they go all to these other Protestant churches, they're no different than a Roman Catholic because they believe unless they pray confessional-type prayers all the time that they're not pure. And then even after they pray those prayers, they still don't feel pure because they hear things like, well, everybody's a sinner. Everybody messes up. We're all dirty on the inside. We may not be perfect, but we're forgiven. They'll hear those kinds of things, and they think it's cute, and they think it's humble, but that's actually going against the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It would be as if, every parent, look up at me, please. It would be as if after you cleaned your children, they came to you and said, I'm still dirty. You'd say, child, either you have OCD or you're blind. Let me show you. You're not dirty. But how many know if they kept coming to you, I'm dirty. You would say, that's an issue because OCD is not okay, is it? You would say, no, 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 that, that's not true. You are clean. Look at your hands. Your hands are clean. Don't be a germaphobe. Look at your hands. Your hands are clean. Look at your face. You are clean. And this is the problem. Christians are becoming OCD about their sin and about their things. And Jesus keeps saying to them, you're clean, you're clean, you're clean. Few of you got it. Few of you got it because others are here. Listen to me. You still don't think it can be that good, and that's because you're sin conscious. You're thinking about your sins all the time instead of think, thinking about your sanctification. 
Don't think about your sins. Think about your sanctification. As a man thinketh, so is he. As you begin to understand, I'm sanctified. I'm holy. I'm cleansed. Go to John 15, please. That was a uh, service uh, in the first service, uh, the sermon that I preached on, and it talked about us being clean. And guess what? That's how you're supposed to see yourself. John chapter 15. Look at it there in verse 4. Remain in me. uh, Not verse 4. Verse 3. You are already what? Clean. You are already clean. Help me, saints. One more time. You are already clean clean. Thank you because of the word I've spoken to you. So how are Christians supposed to think of themselves? Clean or dirty? Clean. So act like it. But once again, there's a supposed humility in there. Well, we're all dirty. We're all sinners. You know what? That's an excuse for you to continue to live like a sinner. If my child came to me and said, well, I'm still dirty, so I might as well go act dirty. Would I be okay with that? I'd be like, you're not dirty and you better not act dirty. You're clean. But we do that all the time with God. Well, God, I'm still a sinner. I still feel like a sinner. I still, I'm still tempted. So you know what? I'm going to go out there and sin again because I guess that's who I am. And, and that's what I do. I'm a sinner. And then you're a savior, so that's a perfect match, right? So every time I sin, you'll just keep saving me and rescuing me. And we forget that Jesus is not only a savior, but he's also Lord. You see, you understand the concept of being saved, but you don't understand the concept of obey. He's here to do more than get you to be saved. He's here to get you to obey. And that's where we miss it as Christians because we want the preacher to tell us how he'll save us, how he'll save us. He's going to get you out. He's going to change your life. All these bad things are going to leave you. But you don't want to hear the preacher teach you how to obey. But going back to our passage in Hebrews, what we're learning here is that we are to obey, not to try to get clean. I don't try to do the right thing so I'll be clean. I do the right thing because I am clean. Once you know this is who you are, you're going to have a problem now with something getting in there. Right? But if I think of myself being dirty all the time and it's already dirty, well, then you might as well spit in there. I don't know about you, but sometimes I eat seeds that you have to spit out, sunflower seeds. Anybody ever do that? And then you'll grab an old water bottle like this. Now, if I'm doing that and then you say, hey, man, I got some gum. Do I have a problem with you putting it in there? No, man, put your gum in there. I don't care. I mean, it's a little gross now seeing the gum in there, but I've been on some road trips. We put all that garbage in there, and I'm still spitting out seeds because that's the way I look at it. It's a dirty cup. That's what it is. But you say right now you want to spit your gum out in here. I'm like, you're crazy. You can't spit your gum out in here. How many know how to defile it? I don't want you to spit your gum out in here. But see, that's how people look at their lives. Go ahead and have sex with me. I'm already dirty. Go ahead and get drunk with me. I'm already dirty. Go ahead and talk dirty to me. Let me use a foul mouth because I'm already dirty. That's how they think of themselves. Then they go, well, I'm a Christian. Jesus loves me. They miss the entire point of why Jesus came to die on the cross. He didn't die that you could keep sinning. He died that you might be sanctified and free from sin. And when you see yourself like this, now you're guarded and protected. Don't curse around me. I'm pure. Don't try to have sex with me if we ain't married. I'm pure. Don't try to tell me a dirty joke. I'm pure. Don't take me to that movie. I'm pure. You're going to look at your life as something to be guarded because this is your default. The default of a Christian is sanctified. I'll read it again. And by that will, remember he said, not my will, but your will be done before he went to the cross. We have been made holy, sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
Amen? That's the Christian life. Now, verse 11, going back to the shadow. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. This is how we know this was written before the destruction of the temple because they must have been there doing the same thing because he's talking about it, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you see why we don't think about him and we shouldn't have it in our mind of him as always suffering? We should see him conquering, sitting at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstools. Now look at verse 14 and please highlight it, please. You want to look at what a doctoral student does? I wrote over 100 pages to become a doctor of ministry based on this verse right here. By God's grace. I never thought I could, but I have a lot to say about this verse. I won't spend a lot of time in it today because it's a whole nother sermon series, but the book in him out there, we'll give it to anyone for free today or online for free, talks about this concept. Here it is. For by one sacrifice, he has made what? Perfect. For how long? Forever. Those who are being made holy or sanctified. Wow. Do you see how beautiful that is? Now you can see where 100 pages would come from. Because how are we perfect? And yet we still have imperfections. I had to talk about that. I had to explain how there's a perfection of our soul that we yet don't have in our body yet. But that doesn't give us permission to live however we want in our body. I'm supposed to believe that when I was born again, I was born again perfect like my heavenly father is perfect. That's why Jesus said in Matthew, be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. It's actually a command even in the Old Testament. Be holy for I am holy. And now notice this. It says you are made perfect forever. That means those who are in Christ today don't ever have to worry about becoming a sinner again as long as they want to stay in that relationship. But you would think that because I just said that, that there would be no warning for you losing perfection. And that's another place I had to spend a lot of time on because we're about ready to read it. Because he goes from this perfection that lasts forever to a warning that you can lose it all. And they are not contradicting each other, these statements, because they come from the same person in the same chapter. What they are is two different sides of the same coin. One is saying, as long as you stay with Jesus, as long as you love the Lord, you are perfect for a time without end, for never-ending time, eternal time. You are perfect. But at any moment, you don't want this, it can be taken from you. Somebody say, Judas. Amen. Saul in the Bible as well. King Saul. Others we see have walked away from this. So I won't spend a lot of time here, but notice that the Bible says the default for the Christian is Christian perfection. That is what I preach. That is what I believe. Christian perfection. I believe in internal sanctification. Wow, this is amazing. You learn some theological terms. Sometimes people say, well, if you're perfect and you're a Christian, how do you still make mistakes? Because in Christ, mistakes can be forgiven and restored to perfection. Did you all hear what I said? If perfection is my default and I were to sin and I ask for forgiveness, what do I go back to? Perfections. Come on, somebody say perfection. If perfection, we'll say it again. If perfection is my default and there gets a piece of gum in there, there gets some swamp water in there, and Jesus forgives me, what do I go back to? Perfection. See, this is how I teach it. 
the Christian starts perfect and is to live perfect every single day. Do I always do it? No, but my goal is always perfection. But it's not to try to achieve perfection. Trying to do good works doesn't make me more and more pure as if I'm getting rid of bad karma every day that I do good stuff. No, I start at the finish line of perfection. I'm not working to be perfect. I work because I'm perfect. Do you all get the difference? Some of you, let me go to Ephesians chapter 2 as I take a little detour. This wasn't planned for today, but let me do this for your benefit, and it's also in the book out there. It will help encourage you. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are Christ, or God's workmanship. First and foremost, we are God's workmanship, handiwork. So what happens first, God's work or me working? And when he does the work, does he do, does he do it perfectly or imperfectly? Perfectly, right? Doesn't he make me holy? Doesn't he sanctify me? Doesn't he make me perfect as the Father is perfect? There it is. For we are God's what? Handiwork. Now notice the tense of this next, this next action. Created. Is that past tense, present, or future? Created. Past tense. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, thank you, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So how do I get to work for God? By him working on me first. Him creating in me the perfect Joe. So how does Joe get today the opportunity to live without sin? Is by being saved and made sinless. Here's a one-liner. God made me sinless, so I will sin less. I do not sin less to become sinless. That will never be achieved in that way. I am working on being sinless because God made me sinless. Think about it. How do you start Christianity if you're getting born again? Do you start in Christianity as a sinner? That's what you already were born as. That wouldn't make any sense. Get born again. Okay, what do I become this time? A sinner. Well, I thought I was already born a sinner. Yeah, you were, but now you're born another sinner. The only difference is that Jesus is with you. He's going to help you. That doesn't make any sense. Being born again means you're a new nature. Well, what was my nature before Christ? Sinner. What's my nature after Christ? Saint. Tracking with me? It's not still sinner. Some people will be like, well, you were a sinner sinner before Christ, but now in Christ, you're a sinner saint. Then you become a saint saint after you die. So who's my savior then, death or Jesus? If I have to wait to become a saint saint because I'm only a partial saint, half sinner now, then what's really my savior, Christ or my death? See, they're saying it's death, but we say it's Christ. So when do I become a saint saint, a real saint when I'm born again? And guess what he calls Christians? Saints. Another tab, please. Ephesians chapter 1. What does he call Christians? Christian is only there a few times. Discipleship is uh, the word disciple there many more times. But what is Paul's dominant phrase? It's not Christian and it's not even disciple. Look at the dominant phrase he calls the people. To God's what? Holy people are in the King James. To God's saints. Saints are alive people living today in the holiness of God. Let me show it to you in another way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. How many know that scripture? I'm going to say it together. Therefore, y'all don't know it playing. Let's <laughs> start again. Let's start. Some of you got it. One more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Come on. Y'all know that? I hope that you do because I think if I started singing Beyonce, you might have done better. 
You better know the word better than you know Beyonce. Amen. Get your face out of Facebook and put it into his book. Let's know scripture. I know I might have got it off the wrong way, but listen to it. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. When does that come? That comes right now. The new creation is literally ahora, right here. Now go on down to verse 21, the sister passage to this. It says, God made him, talking about Jesus as our sacrifice, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. That is beautiful, brothers and sisters. I enjoyed every page that I wrote. I mean that. I enjoyed it, and then I simplified it into a book. I mean this. You have to get this revelation. Going back to the Hebrews passage, please. When the Bible says that by this sacrifice, he has made us perfect forever, that is not when you die and go to heaven. That is right now in the new creation. And as I've, as I've explained before, the body hasn't changed. We understand that. But we know our heart has changed. Well, if your heart has changed, what is your heart like? Is it like this or part dirty and part clean? See, you need to see yourself as who you are in Christ. It's not in our own strength. I'm not saying I'm perfect in my own self, like, you know, somehow I'm a perfectionist and things like that, like I don't have clothes that are laying on the, uh, the closet floor right now that my wife probably will be upset about or something, pajamas laying somewhere that I didn't put away. I'm not saying that I'm always the perfect husband. No, 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 this is what I'm saying. I'm saying in Christ, this is who I am. So whatever I'm learning as good works, as a husband, I'm doing it from this point of view. I'm doing it from the point of view that I've already got everything I need. Doesn't that sound like scripture? That he meets all of our needs. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. This is why. Because it's already deposited in me. It's already given to me. That's what Hebrews is teaching. Now verse 15, you want to hear uh, scripture about the deity of the Holy Spirit not merely being a force? Like how New Agers say, feel the vibe, man. That's the Spirit. No, listen, the Holy Spirit also testifies. My Holy Spirit speaks the word of God. You have a spirit, but it ain't holy, <laughs> okay? The spirit that I'm on, the vibe that I'm on, preaches the word of God. He's not just a force like electricity. He is a person equal to the Father and the Son. I love when the preacher says it like this. The Holy Spirit also testifies. He is a witness, as the, the book of John says, to teach us about these things. He testifies to us. First, he says, the Holy Spirit speaking, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time. I will put my laws where? In their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Isn't that beautiful? Because he said he gave us a new heart in that same passage. Just go to Jeremiah chapter 33, start around uh, verse, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 rather, around verse 23. And you'll see the reason why the law of God can be on my heart, the reason why I can have it in my mind now is because God has done it within me. He's changed me. Let's go down a little bit. Maybe it starts a little bit later than that. Uh, let's keep going. There we go. So it does start in 31, rather. Now notice this. I'm going to make a new covenant with them. It's not going to be like the covenant I made with the ancestors. Let's keep going down. Verse 33. This is the covenant I will do. And we have the covenant right there, the new law written, uh, the, the law in their minds and on their hearts, right? Now notice this. Keep going. No longer will they teach these things. Why? Because he's going to teach them himself. Go back up here. Maybe I'm thinking of Ezekiel. Go back up. Go back up. I just want to see. It's, it's not in this passage. Okay, go to Ezekiel then. 23. Yes, it's Ezekiel 23, I believe, the new heart. Or it's Ezekiel 30. New heart. Which one is it? 36. Let's go there by faith. Man of God helping me out. Yes, verse 26. Come on. Uh, someone get this brother a gift card, please. Anyone that helps me that, that good, man, come on. 
get this brother a gift card. 36, he said, and he is correct. 36, starting in verse 26, so there was a 20 in there somewhere. Notice what he says. I will give you a what? And put a what? New spirit in you. I will remove. Leave it there or remove? Remove your heart of what? Stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, here's the reason why I was confusing it with Jeremiah, because it sounds very similar when he says he's going to write it on their mind and heart. Look at verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to keep my laws. Those two passages together are actually mentioned in Hebrews, and I confuse them at times. Thank you, brother, for helping me out. So how is our heart given to us? New. That's why it's on our hearts, because you have a new heart. When you get a new computer, don't you have a new hard drive? Come on, y'all. Unless you get it somewhere there on Milwaukee Avenue and it doesn't come in a box. It's new to that dude. You know, he's saying it's new, but it really ain't. Come on. Nothing against those who work on Milwaukee Avenue, but I had to learn real quick what was going on around there, you know. That was even after the Mega Mall, but still I was like, okay, I got I to gotta be a little more investigation here, have a little more investigation what I buy out here. But listen, you get a new computer, it has a new what? New hard drive, right? New operating system. When you're born again, you get a new heart with a new operating system. You get the laws of God by default. You ever buy a computer and it says Windows 11 already installed? Come on, those are the ones to get, right? You go to Best Buy, they say they already got Windows installed. When you got born again, you already had the law of God installed. Come on. When you got born again, please now go to the Jeremiah passage and, and work these words together. Going to that Jeremiah passage in 31, it says he puts it in your mind. He puts it in your heart. Ver, uh, chapter 31, verse 33 of Jeremiah. Thank you, sir. Be blessed. Let's give it up for our brother helping out, a preacher today. Come on. Thank you. Look at it right there. I will put my law in their inner parts and write it on their hearts. Why is that? Because Ezekiel says you get a new heart. It comes on the hard drive. That's why, and I don't mean this as a diss towards people, but I even went back, and I know, sister, you're going to appreciate this. I went back and I read some John Wesley sermons because I said, I can't be making this stuff up. John Wesley preached to a Christian culture. More people were Christian by percentages when John Wesley was preaching in American colonial times, okay? But you know what he would preach to them? Most of you aren't even saved. You know Why? Because so many of them, they thought salvation was just simply saying a few words to Jesus, a prayer. Now, we're saved by faith like the thief on the cross. You can be saved that easily. Don't get me wrong. But people thought that that's all salvation was, so they never really meant it. Like how I said the Jewish people got used to the sacrifices. These people got used to Jesus dying on the cross. Oh, you know, I'm a Christian, and Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I believe it. I, you know, I guess that's it. And John Wesley is preaching to him, and he's saying, y'all don't even know what it means to be born again. You haven't even felt the weight of your sin yet. You don't understand how much you need a Savior. Some of you don't even think you need it. He's preaching this back then where the worst thing you could do is tell your mom No. <laughs> like, oh, you're a bad kid. You tell your mom no. What, they, what do the kids do now? They do more than just say no, don't they? Uh, the, the worst thing you could do back then was to go out and maybe cuss somebody out in traffic. They all had guns, but they didn't have school shootings. Are you listening to me? Now, there was some slavery back then. I'm saying that's wicked and evil. I'm not downplaying that, but I'm talking about the moral uh, congregation, you know, uh, African-American, white together. The worst thing that people were doing was just yelling at each other, maybe go out and get drunk. We live in a culture so full of sin, and yet people still think they're Christians. 
And then, of course, now you can see just mentioning that, how slavery could uh, go as much as it did because there was no conviction even in their mind to do that. That's why those people were not even Christians. So you, you say to me, well, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to say to you, well, how are you following Jesus? And if you say I'm saved, I'm going to say saved from what? If you say you're following Jesus, how are you following him? I meet people all the time. They tell me they're Christians. Okay, tell me how you follow Jesus today. Has he changed the way you walk? Has he changed the way you talk? Has he changed where you go, who you're with? If he hasn't, then you don't really know him then. So brothers and sisters, if you, I'm just saying this in all humility. If you have not had an experience with God where you literally go, man, something got downloaded into me. Something happened in my life. If you don't have that, then I'm going to say to you, you're probably not saved. Because if you were saved, every one of you would be able to point to a day and a time and say, that was a moment where things got downloaded into me that were not natural. Because sometimes people try to say, well, maybe that's just your conscience. No, 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 no. In my conscience as a sinner, I could cuss you out and not feel bad. But instantly, when I started cussing as a Christian, I felt bad. And no one had to tell it to me. Before I even started going to church and they knew what I was doing, the Holy Spirit was already working on me. No one even told me that smoking is a sin. And even to this day, Christians argue about whether it is technically a sin. Like, like the old preachers used to say, it may not send you to hell, but make you smell like you've been there. That was back in the day when they didn't have the cotton candy vaping, right? But I already got convicted over that. I got convicted. You see, no one had to tell me. I was with a girl, and I was, you know, not, not going to have sex with her, but I wasn't inappropriate with her. And I started feeling conviction before my mom even told me the things that she told me, okay? And so here's the deal. If you say you're a Christian, but you don't have the law of God in your mind and your heart, I'm questioning your Christianity. Come to these altars before you go home tonight, uh, today, and pray and ask Jesus to get in your heart. Amen? Ask Jesus to put his law on your minds so that you find conviction to it. That's why uh, when people ask us these hot topics about homosexuality and all of these other things, the first most important thing I want to stick to is salvation. Because why would I even want to see a homosexual convicted if he doesn't believe Jesus died on the cross, uh, convicted over his homosexuality? I mean, it's a good discussion if you want to talk about the moral standards of a society. It's better if we're heterosexual overall. I mean, that's, that's a fact that you need moms and dads to raise children or even have children. Can I hear an amen? How many believe they don't make them in test tubes yet? Okay, so you still need a mom and a dad, even if a, a dad is a, uh, you know, just a sperm donor. So we need healthy relationships to have a good society. But for me, I don't even argue from that to say, well, now become a heterosexual or try to, you know, because then they think we're trying to change. No, 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 no. Forget all of that. Are you a sinner? That's my first question to anybody. Do you acknowledge you are a sinner? Because for me, the moment I acknowledged I was a sinner, God can now change my mind and everything else. In other words, my mom didn't argue abortion with me before I became a Christian. She said I was a sinner in need of a Savior. But when I became a Christian, being pro-life, I didn't even have an argument about it. It was like within moments, I know I'm pro-life. Why? Because God wrote his law in my mind. He wrote it on my heart. Can anybody else uh, testify to that being your experience? How many of you, let me ask you like this, how many of you became Christians and things instantly changed without even debating and arguing about it? I'm not saying everything in everybody's life is like that extreme. I'm just saying the important things became night and day, light and darkness. How many can relate to that? I'm just being honest with you. If you're still battling over pro-life and pro-choice, I doubt you're a Christian. I'm just being honest. If you're, if you're still battling over the homosexual thing, I'm not talking about temptation. I'm talking about you're battling over whether it's a sin. You're probably not a Christian because God hasn't downloaded to you sexual purity. You don't get what sexual purity is. You just don't get it. You don't get what life is. I, can't ex- I can debate it, and trust me, we can, we can debate, and I can be very good at it, okay? But I can't debate you into the truth if your heart is hard. 
I remember arguing with my mom about certain Christian presuppositions, things that they believed before becoming a Christian, and it didn't get anywhere with me. But the moment I became a Christian, it was like, yeah, and amen. It was like, oh, yeah, this is true. And as I said, no one had to convince me. That's why when I find myself arguing with people that call themselves Christians over these basic things, I'm not talking about what the four horsemen of the apocalypse are. I'm not talking about how the book of Revelation plays out. I'm talking about whether or not life is inside of the womb, right? Like I find my, like there was a, a woman a while back, we were getting into an argument online, Joe B. remembers, and they were all arguing. I'm like wondering about, about the sister. I'm like, I don't even know if you're a Christian. How is it that's even okay with you? Like slavery. Do you think you could be a Christian and be down with slavery? Yes or no, brothers and sisters? Yes or no? Come on. No. So if I said to you, you know what, I don't own a slave, but it's okay if you own one. Can you be a Christian and say that? Well, I would never get an abortion, but it's okay if someone else wants to get one. You know what, I don't really like how Hitler does the Jews, but you know what, I'm cool with Jews. So, but if that's what he wants to do, how many still, you couldn't be a Christian and say that? That's why I'm telling you, my friends, Christianity starts from the inside out. Shadows will only take you so far. Going to church, even in our American culture, being raised a Christian will only take you so far. The most important part is having an inner relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Hebrews, please. I hope that blessed somebody because that was not in the notes. That was extra. Anybody got blessed today? I hope you did. Amen. It's my, it's my privilege to serve you. So notice what we just read there. Hebrews 14, just going up, please. Just reminding everyone in the context. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit is a witness to us. What does the Holy Spirit testify to us? That Jesus comes to make a new covenant. And what does that new covenant look like? The law is going in our hearts and being written in our minds. That's what it means to be born again. Verse 17, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So how do you know that you have been forgiven when you hate your sins. People who say to me, I want forgiveness, and then they argue about their sins, I say are doing it backwards. When I go out to the pride fest and I speak to homosexuals and they're proud of their sin, and then they say, well, you know what, even if it is sin, I've asked for forgiveness. No, no, no. You cannot receive forgiveness for something that you're proud of. The reason, verse 17, the sins and lawless acts are remembered no more is because you have repented of them and truly counted them as sins. That is a major difference between the American Christianity and what's going on in our world today, uh, what's in the Bible. American Christianity will say, he forgives me, right? Like, don't you hear him say that? I'm forgiven. I, I have asked for forgiveness, and they're still living with their boyfriend or girlfriend. How is that possible? Because they don't understand true forgiveness. Do you think, come on, y'all, do you think an Israelite could live as a homosexual in Israel and say, guys, I'm showing up for the sacrifice because I know everything's good here? No, there was literally a death penalty for that level of immorality. Same thing with adultery and for rebellious children, so let's make sure we're playing fair when we talk about the death penalty. Well, you could have got killed in Israel for that. Yeah, but you could have got killed for a lot of other things too, okay? What I'm saying is, could you have lived in direct disobedience in Israel and go to the sacrifice and go, but I'm good now? Then why do Christians think they can do that? I'm in direct disobedience to God. Oh, yeah, but God, please forgive me. 
That's not how it works. Now notice verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, open for us through the curtain. Remember we talked about he fulfills all these things of the temple and tabernacle. That is his body. Notice that. Highlight that, please. I wasn't making up stuff when I was showing you how Jesus fulfills all these things of the temple. The curtain, that is his body. Keep preaching, Paul. That's why I believe wrote this. And since we have a great high priest over the whole house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. And all God's people said, Amen. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So don't give up your faith. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Don't you judge me. No, listen, I'm not judging you. I'm helping you do good deeds. And even if I was judging you, what are you doing now? You judging me, judging you? That sounds like a hypocrite, right? Don't you judge me. Aren't you judging me? You're not supposed to judge people. Aren't you judging me? You're not supposed to tell people what to do. Aren't you telling me what to do? Does everybody see the hypocrisy in that? If we do make judgments, how are we making them? and discernments to help them to do the right thing. We're not their final judge, but we're helping them see good from evil. How many believe a good brother or sister should do that? So judge me in the sense of helping Joe see good from evil. Don't judge me and condemn me into hell, but help me make good judgments about good and evil. Parents, the same thing. Because how many know if your children came to you and said, only God can judge? You're going to say, in this house, God says, I'm also a judge. Right? Why? Because you get to make judgments in that house, not over heaven and hell, but over what they discern as good from evil. Let's go to the book of John quickly, a righteous judgment, and then we'll close out here. I couldn't even get to the most serious part, but how many know it's still serious? Amen. We learned a lot, but next week we're going to get to the portion that I was mentioning. Make a righteous judgment, the book of John. Somebody might get another gift card if they beat me there. John 7, 24. John 7, 24. This is where you have to remember the judgments that we, we make as Christians is not as Matthew tells us not to do. In Matthew, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. In what way is he telling us not to judge? In a final sense, condemning people, in other words. But what does he say here in John 7, 24? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead do what? Judge correctly. So just put up there in the tab so everybody can see it, please. Put up Matthew chapter 6 where he talks about not judging. In what way are we not to judge? Keep going down. Um, is it seven? Yeah, seven, sorry. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now go to John just so they can flip back, uh, flip back and forth so they can see it. Stop judging. You see that right there? You see, that's the part he's talking about not doing. But what does he say? Judge correctly. Everybody get that? Let me show you in Matthew how you're going to judge correctly. Going back to that same passage. Do not judge lest you will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use will be measured to you. So do not judge incorrectly because you'll have an incorrect judgment against you. Here's an example of an incorrect judgment. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You're a hypocrite. Take the plank, notice this, take the plank out of your own eye and then do what? See clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, in John 7, 24, he summarizes it. Or you could say in Matthew 7, he expands what he said in John 7. 
In John 7, it said simply, don't judge incorrectly. Everybody see that, please. Judge correctly. What is an incorrect judgment, judging by mere appearances? What does Matthew say about that? That's like you having your own problems, a big plank in your eye, trying to do eye surgery. And I had LASIK done. It's so precise. You're trying to do precise surgery, but here you've got this big plank in your eye. Wouldn't that be silly, the guy coming to do LASIK surgery on my eye had a big plank in his eye? Or he was a blind guy? And it's not automatic. They set it up, but then the guy has to be a part of the surgery. Could you just imagine him coming in, hey, I'm doing your surgery today. I'd be like, no, please don't. Please stop. You're worse off than I am. A blind man is worse than me with um, stigmatism. Everybody tracking with me? So that's what Jesus is saying. But that doesn't mean an eye doctor still doesn't do the right thing. What kind of eye doctor do you want? An eye doctor that can see. An eye doctor that doesn't have a plank in their eye. That's a good eye doctor can get the speck out. Amen? Okay, now going back to Hebrews. Notice what it says here. You are to spur each other on to good deeds, not giving up meeting together, which we do in church and life group and discipleship, as some are in the habit of doing. They even had people back then skipping church. If everybody came to this church that calls this their church, as you'll see on Easter, we couldn't fit you all in two services. It would have to be three services. Come on. So some are in the habit of doing that. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Are you all ready for the scary verse? I at least want to read it. Band, would you come, please? This is where we'll start next week, so y'all come buckled up because I'm going to jump right in it by God's grace. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, notice this now, no sacrifice for sins is left. Did you guys get that? That's your Bible. I didn't write that in there to try to scare the hell out of you. That's the Bible. God, get heaven in you, right? No sacrifice for sins is left. Why? Because back then they used to do them over and over and over again as a shadow until Jesus came. But now Jesus is here, there's no other chances. But only what? A fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. You might be saying to yourself, man, how did we go from like Jesus being the fulfillment of the law? It's a good day. We're eating lechon. We got a new covenant. I've got a reset, you know, brand new hard drive. I'm born. How did we go from that to if you keep on sinning, you're dying in judgment? How did we go there so quickly? It's because the author is teaching us of the seriousness of what the Israelite shadow always was. And now that we have Jesus, it's not less serious, it's actually more serious. Think about it. Because in the Old Testament, I'm, I'll just read it through here. In the Old Testament, if you rejected the law of Moses, you died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? You remember that example I was giving you about the funeral? insulting somebody at their own funeral and how crazy that would be in our culture. Think about how much more extreme Jesus is right now saying the insult is to him and the spirit of grace, that Holy Spirit that preaches and gives us grace when we live in sin as Christians. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge who? 
Who will the Lord judge? Just the wicked sinners out there? Those liberal, liberal Democrats? Ellen Degenerate? I mean Degenerate. Who is he going to judge, y'all? His people. Are you his people? He's going to judge you. You get, better get ready. Better get ready, brothers and sisters. I better get ready. The Bible even says, on top of all of this in the book of James, I, as a preacher, the one who holds this mic and preaches, will be judged even more severely than y'all. That puts the fear of God in me. Remember those early days when you had suffered. Oh, I'm sorry. He says he will judge his people. It is a dreadful. We'll stop at verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, I just can't wait to go to heaven. I'm going to see all my relatives. If you ain't living right, you ain't going to be excited to go to heaven. Because the only thing you'll be seeing is his boot kicking you out. I'm being real, and I'm not trying to be light about it. We make up stories for sinners after they die, and then we think that's going to be said about us, and we're all going to go to this better place. No, no, no. Now listen to me. Everybody who dies does not go to a better place. I don't know how else to interpret that. I was the other day just thinking about what it means to be a pastor. I've been doing this over 20-plus years, and, you know, there are times when I'm very animated. There's uh, services where we get very excited. Sometimes it's just teaching like today. And I was just asking the Lord, just simply in prayer, like, what, what do you want me to do, Jesus, as a pastor over the next 20 years, 30 years? What, what do I do? Do I get more excited? Do I jump around show everybody how excited I am for Jesus? Do I shout all the time? You know, just what do I do? And this is what I felt the Lord say. This is... Just this week, I felt the Lord tell me this. You help my people get to heaven. You bring them from earth to heaven. Not that I'm the Savior, but this is what the Lord told me. Your job is like a bus driver. You get them from here to there. Some's going to get off the bus. Others are going to get on the bus. You just keep that bus driving. Some are going to like what you say on the bus, and others are not going to like it. Doesn't, you're driving that bus route. That's why I felt the Lord tell me. And I knew that these verses were coming up in my heart this week. And now as I'm preaching it to you, looking at your beautiful faces and, and just you know, your, your willingness to be here today, I know you're on the good side, right? Like you, you came to church. You're not out there selling crack, you know, whatever. You love Jesus. You're not in prison catching a charge. Maybe some, but I don't know most of you all. How many of you all good here today? You love Jesus, right? You, you're not getting arrested for Bernie Madoff, you know, taking down your company, stealing money from retirement uh, you know, funds. But listen, all of everyone here, look at me as I look at you. Let's keep you all, let's Keep everyone accountable here, please, and thank you. Listen, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of God. We better check ourselves. We better make, we better make this our life ambition to remember his sacrifice and to remember what he did for us. Because if we go back to that dirty water bottle, the Bible says there's not a chance for us to come back. Now, let me just say this quickly in closing. Somebody say, man, what about a backslider? Can't they come back? The Bible talks about Peter and others. Absolutely. What it's saying is when you die in that state, though. Go to Ezekiel chapter 3 quickly in closing just a little bit for next week. See, the problem is that people who used to be like this that are now dirty think that God still sees them in the clean sense. And that's the crazy part. Let me just say this, brothers and sisters. Please be patient with me. This is the crazy part. When I talk to a backslider... They think everything's good. I talk to a Christian struggling in sin. They can never get over it. They beat themselves up. Isn't that weird? Do you all see my problem that I face as a pastor? I go out right now to the street. I pull somebody off the sidewalk, and I say, do you love Jesus? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. You, you go to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. 
But then I talked to some of you here today. You love Jesus. Yeah, but sometimes I'm not as good as I should be. Do you feel like you're going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. I've been praying, going to discipleship. i got to pray again. Why is that? Why is it the one going to hell has a false confidence, but the one going to heaven doesn't have the God identity? Y'all got to switch that. You, not, you need to have the swag of a sinner, but yet have the, the foundation of a saint. Do you get what I'm saying? Seriously, they have a swag like, I'm going to heaven no matter what, and they're really going to hell. Some of you beat yourself up because you didn't pray five hours, listen to K-Love on the radio, and say everything in King James language. And I'm like, can we just switch the mentalities here but have the right truth, you know? Like, you should be walking around as a king's kids, not in pride, but in a sense of I know who I am, and I'm right with God. And if I messed up today, I'm forgiven, and I know God's with me. That should be your confidence, not an insecurity. And then the one on the sidewalk, man, they should be counting how many times they prayed if they showed up to church and then realize all their righteous deeds are as filthy rags, you know. But notice what he says here. Keep going down. I think it's around verse 21. He says, I want you to say to the one, yeah, right around here, look at verse 20. And when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since, they, uh, since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. And then highlight this, please. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I'll hold you accountable for their blood. See, the backslider out there today needs to understand. None of those righteous things that they did in the past are counting for them now. But then you in the church, my brother and sister, who struggles with condemnation, needs to understand your spiritual weakness, you, you coming into temptation, doesn't change this. Can I hear an amen? Some of y'all didn't get that. Let me, let me go a little deeper. I know I'm getting into next week. I tried to do it this week. I could, I could do it this week and technically keep you another hour, but I won't. But let me say it like this. When a sinner does something good, does that make their inner person righteous? Okay, think about it. So there's a sinner out there, and he's, he's, he's watching somebody about ready to cross the street and get hit by a car. And that sinner, they could have been scoring drugs. They could have been, like, gangbanging. But they see somebody crossing the street that's about ready to get by a car. And they go, hey, man, don't do that. Don't do that, man, man, come back over here. They save that person. On the inside of their heart, do they become clean and righteous because they did a righteous act? No, because the act of righteousness does not transform their identity. Identity is transformed by Jesus and Jesus alone. You all tracking with me? That's why if you say, what about the Muslim? What about these great Hindus? What about this person? What about Mahatma Gandhi and Buddha? It does not matter because all that they have done has not changed that. The only thing that changes the heart is the blood of Jesus. You all tracking with me? Now, in reverse, if a Christian sins, do they now change their nature? No, because it wasn't their good works that gave them a good nature. Sinning does not change their bad nature, change their nature into bad. But what is the Hebrew author warning about? Is that the continual sin puts you back into the position of a sinner. It's not because people think about it like this. Well, if I dirty up the cup and these different things and I keep sinning, I use that as an example before to help you understand cleansing in your conscience of sin. But some take it too far. They think as a Christian, well, Joe, how many sins do I have to sin before this thing is dirty and now I'm cut off? Because go to the Hebrews passage there. It seems like there's a continuation of sin that leads to you being cut off from God, right? Everybody tracking with me? 
Half of you are tracking with me? Let's go back up. Go to verse 26 so everybody can see it. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's therefore no more sacrifice for sins. So people ask me, how many sins do I have to sin where there's no more sacrifice? Do you understand me now? It's not a matter of the sin number. It's not a count. It's of the heart. If you today cut off from God through unbelief, it doesn't matter if your sin was bitterness. You're going to hell. Or if you continue in the sin of homosexuality or of adultery, it doesn't matter which one it is to the extreme you do it in. What it matters is, is your relationship with God. So for example, you look at Judas. How did Judas cut off from Jesus? His greed and then his betrayal, right? How did Peter cut off from Jesus? Through his betrayal. Both of them were lost. Which one came back? Peter, right? Now, if they would have died, they would have went to the same hell. So people get, get this out of your mind that Jesus is saying to me, or, or that, that I'm saying to you on behalf of Jesus from the word, that somehow your good behavior maintains this. It doesn't. Your good behavior only shows that you're in faithful relationship to Jesus Christ. Remember at the beginning we read in Ephesians that we are his workmanship. What takes me out of being the work of God is my unbelief. Just go to Romans chapter 11, verse 22, please. I want everybody to see this. If you get this right, then understand what I was saying about swapping the swag of the backslider. What I am saying is the backslider thinks they're standing in a right place, but they're really not. The guilt-ridden Christian thinks they're in a bad place, and they're not really in a bad place. Does everybody get the swap there? Okay. Consider the, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Provided that you continue in his kindness. Does it say you have to do good works to get God's kindness? You just believe in God's kindness. Now watch. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. And if they do not persist in what? Unbelief. They will be grafted in. God is able to graft them in again. After all, you were cut off as an olive tree that's wild by uh, nature, and contrary to the nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. How much more readily would those natural branches be grafted in? Sorry, to their own tree. And then just go up to verse 21. 21, please. Uh, notice what he says here. Do not be arrogant, but tremble, for God did not spare the natural branches. He will not spare you either. Granted, verse 20, they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by what? So why is a sinner going to hell? What is their ultimate issue? Why are they going to hell? Because of what? Unbelief. Is it the homosexuality? No, homosexuality is a result of their unbelief. They'll be judged on that. But it's not the homosexuality. It's the what? Unbelief. What was the first sin of Adam and Eve? Unbelief. That unbelief had them doubt the promises of God. Some people say it was pride and so forth. But where does pride come from? Unbelief. So now take it to the reverse. If I am in faith, what can separate me from God? Can my sin even separate me from God if I'm in faith? No. David, what did he do? Committed murder, adultery, and he still wasn't cut off. Isn't that crazy? Hold on. Go to Psalm 51, verse 10. Oh, pastor, you're going to give people permission to murder and commit adultery. No, no, no. Listen, I'm giving you the example here. In the, exa in, in the teaching of heaven and hell, it's not by our works ever. And so when I warn you about judgment to come, and go up just a, uh, no, we'll stay in verse 10. When I warn you about judgment to come, some of you think, well, I'm going to do better, do better. No, 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 no. You will do better, yes, but have faith, have faith, have faith. 
Because here's where many of you get discouraged. You have tried to do better, but you have not done better. And then you think what I'm saying to you is now you're going to hell. No, no, no. David committed adultery. David committed murder. But what does he say in verse 11? Do not cast me from your presence. He had not yet been cast from the presence of God. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Samuel, uh, Saul rather, got the spirit of God taken from him and did so much less. Compare Saul's life to David's life. What did Saul do against God? What? The sacrifice was wrong, right? You all listening? What else did he do before the witch of Endor? I'm talking because this happens next, right? What did he do to have this happen to him? The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What did Saul do as in levels of sin? Bad sacrifice, disobeyed, right? What did David do in level of sin? You know, disobeyed, but what did it come out as? Murder and adultery. In Saul's life, he has the spirit taken from him. There goes the dove, Saul. Oh, what's coming in its place? You don't want to know. An evil spirit. But look at what David says. After he's murdered, after he's committed adultery, going back to the psalm, please, what does David say? Do not take your spirit from me. So how does David still have the spirit after those sins, and yet Saul does not have the spirit after his sins? The heart of what my sister was saying in verse 10. Do you all see that right there? I know I've opened up a whole other issue that we'll deal with next week, but this is the problem that most Christians do not get. It's the same issue as I talked about the identity. You don't understand this, so you don't understand that. When you don't get it right at the beginning, you get it wrong at the end. The beginning, we start like this, and we are supposed to end like this, and whatever comes in and out of our lives as Christians, we are to always repel and to keep God in our first and foremost in our hearts so that we never get taken out. The sins that can come against a Christian are numerous, and they can still be Christians. If what? Their heart is towards repentance. And yet I have seen people backslide, and they didn't even commit as many sins as the person who's still a Christian. Why is that? Because their heart wasn't right. Are you all getting this? I don't think some of you are. I'm going to repeat it again also because I'm Polish. Okay, listen. People say this all the time. Well, look at that pastor. Look at that person. How are they still a Christian? Here's the difference. The one pointing that finger is full of pride and rebellion. They will never be a true Christian because they don't understand the grace of God. While all of these wicked people that they think like Jeffrey Dahmer can be forgiven and become Christians... Why is it the thief on the cross can become a Christian? He's a thief. And yet the Jewish people, they're the ones going to hell, and they've been moral their whole lives because they didn't get how it started. Now that people are Christians, how can we live as Christians and be forgiven through our heart? So when you come to me after hearing the message and go back to the Hebrews, and I guess this will be the third closing, uh, and you say, well, Joe, how many sins do I sin before I'm there? It doesn't matter. Your sin of rebellion can break you off today from God. So there is that seriousness there. But at the same time, if you're right with God, and you're like, man, I'm trying, and I'm not proud of my sin, and I don't want to keep doing my sin. Like David wasn't proud of his murder. He, was not pr- he wasn't having a murder pride parade. You get what I'm saying, Rudy? There wasn't a murder pride. How can you want God to forgive you when you're saying you're proud of that thing? See, he wasn't having a desperate housewives reality show that he was doing. He wasn't proud of his adultery. He did it, 
But he wasn't proud of it. So what did he receive? Forgiveness. Saul got cut off because he wanted to rebel. He was like, man, I don't want to do it God's way. And that was it. And so brothers and sisters, hear my heart in this as we get ready to close out. Is God is not counting sin against you like how you and I judge each other or how the judge would judge you, like in a court of law. How many did you do? Okay, get them this many counts of whatever. No, this is what God is looking at you and I today asking, do you want to repent? Do you want to live for him? That's why, I'm going to say this, I guess, for the third time now, maybe in a different way. That's why we have people in our church that struggle with homosexuality, and they're still going to heaven, while the most conservative, pure, virgin person is still going to hell. Why? Because the person that's pure and virgin going to hell has other issues in their life that they're not taking serious, and they are cut off from God. And the one that's having same-sex attraction is going, this is not the plan. I don't want to do it. And if I fall into it, Lord, forgive me. And they're still on their way to heaven. And I think, brothers and sisters, that we need to get that because until we get that, we'll be looking at the person coming up, let's say, up here saying, hey, I I need to confess sin and and pray for me. It's not a priest up here, but maybe they're just saying, I need help. We'll stop saying, well, then, man, maybe you're going to hell. You need to get rebaptized. And then the one over here going, well, I just had a bad attitude. And we're like, oh, okay, you're okay. We'll stop thinking about it like that. The one that's up here confessing their bad attitude might be the one going to hell. Do you get it? Because they might have cut themselves off from God because of that attitude. And the one over here that's saying, man, I'm struggling with same sex. I looked at this or that and I regret it. Or I went over here to X, Y, and Z. We should be looking at them going, is your heart right for God? Like, is this what you want? Are you really wanting to live holy? You don't have to be straight to go to heaven. You just can't live in sin. You can be celibate if you want. But you have to desire holiness. Then we would look at it different. That's why Jesus said this to us. He taught us this, and I'm going to pray in closing now. Just right where you're at, Father, I ask you to speak to our hearts. And as I pray, I ask that you look at your heart because I don't want anyone walking out of here saying, I'm good with God because I don't do the big sins. Are you cut off from God is the question. First and foremost, if you don't know him, get to know him now. Father, convict hearts. Let everyone here be born again that's not born again. If that's you today and you yet don't know him, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Please forgive me, and you can become a Christian. And then for the rest of us, come on, look at your hearts. This is how pastors backslide. They say, well, I'm not like so-and-so. Yeah, but you're not right. Look at your life. Remember, if Saul can get cut off for what he did, anyone here can get cut off. And yet, if God can forgive and work with David, anyone can be worked with here. So make sure your heart is right. God, I ask you to convict us of any religion in here. Any things that would have us to think we're better than what we really are. Convict us and put us in the right spot of humility. Not excusing sin. Brothers and sisters, do not hear me excusing sin today. But I'm asking you, do you really want to walk with God? Then there is no sin that will separate you from him today as you walk in this path. All sins can be forgiven. Even if you needed to suffer uh, uh, earthly judgment, in jail you could still live for Jesus. But listen to me, it would have to be from your heart, I really want to live for God. And those here today who are playing with God, it doesn't matter how little of a compromise you are making, that compromise can cut you off from the Lord. A few more moments right now, you and the Lord, search your heart. I'm searching mine. Create in me a clean heart, sisters, as we get ready to close out. A few more moments. That hit me at the end because I think so often, even with our leaders in the church, sometimes you guys come to me, elders and deacons, listen to me as we're praying, and you'll tell me about some situation, which is good. We need to be involved. It's helpful. I know you're not gossiping. We're helping. 
but you're coming like with a level 10 because of what that sin is. And you're not understanding that if you were in the position of helping David, you'd be kicking David out. And David is the one that needs to stay. It's not that we don't correct David. It's not that we don't deal with David. But we're not judging David just based on his sin. We're judging David as a sense of judging in this way to help him based on what his intentions are. Does David want to continue in it? Okay, well then let's come down with the hammer. But is David confessing to us this huge sin, but it's coming from the heart of, I need to get out of it? There's the difference. And then the same thing, I want to speak to elders and deacons over this. The same thing is true when someone is in your midst and they keep dealing with some root of rebellion and it's not that big of a deal to the rest of the group. Everybody's cool, but you know there's an issue there. You need to put your finger on it because that could be a Saul. It doesn't look like the other one. It's not as big and bad as the other one, but that's the real one that could be cutting off. And we need to have a right heart when it comes to that and say, hey, and remember Samuel? He goes to Saul and he says, it's over. You're done. If you want to live like that, find another church. Yeah, your sin may not be as bad as everybody else's here, but we're not playing with that level of rebellion and cutting off the things of God. A few more moments right now. Come on, think about it, brothers and sisters. And even parents, I pray for you now to have wisdom with your children. My parents will tell you, I was worse than my other siblings, but I'm the one that's serving God, and they're not. Because God was dealing with me. It doesn't approve of my rebellion, but there was a difference in my heart. Theirs was a cutting off of God. They never really wanted them, but they played like they did. Even still to this day, my sister, who's an alcoholic, pray for her. My other one died drinking and driving. will still play like she's a Christian. And when I was a sinner, I never did. And here I am, the preacher now. Why? Because God was seeing the heart. God was seeing the heart. Doesn't give permission. I, you know, I was getting in trouble for what I was doing. I'm just saying, brothers and sisters, in your family, even parents here, look at your children. I would rather have a child confess to me the worst kinds of things and be open and honest with what's going on in their heart than, for the other child, than to be like another child that's just re- rebellious but secretly, keeping secrets, not being honest. Come on, a few more moments, Father. Altar workers, would you come, please? And then we'll dismiss in prayer. Next week, Lord willing, we'll go into more depth into this and how to live the Christian life and how to discern your heart from good from evil and not be uh, trapped by the de- deception of sin. But right now, I sense the Lord here needing to give you an identity. If you're a Christian right now, believe you who are who God said you are. Step away from your sin. Today, Christians, do not make excuses for your sins. A few more moments. Look at your heart. Even though everything we said about God's grace is true, you shouldn't desire to be in a sin for another moment. Right now, if there's a sin in your life that you've done more than three times in the last week, make a deal with God right now. If you set me free, I'll never go back. And then now ask him to set you free. I challenge you to have enough faith to ask him to do that. If there is a sin, come on, you have committed three times last week. Three different times you had to ask the Lord to forgive you, and you consider yourself a Christian. I double-dog dare you right now to say, Jesus, if you set me free, I'll never go back to it. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for every person that's making a decision to take you at your word, that this habitual sin will be broken off their lives right now. In the name of Jesus. I believe some of you never have to do that sin again. If, you, if that's you, just right now, just say I'm free. Wherever you're at right now, don't even worry about what your neighbor thinks. Believe it. I am free. I am free. I am free. Would the, um, the rest of us, would we all stand up today? 
Can we raise up our hands and say, Jesus, I thank you for freedom. I thank you for salvation. You're better than the shadow. Come on, just praise him in a few moments before we leave. You're better than the shadow, Jesus. If you need prayer, you can come up for anything even right now. But right now, as we're worshiping, you need to thank him for the blood. Thank him for the cross. Just because I know I can be forgiven of sin does not mean I want to live in sin. But you can guarantee this. No sin will get me to quit on Jesus. If I have to be disciplined, if I have to go through some disciplined hardships, I will. But I, I'm making a decision today. No sin will keep me from God. That's that swagger you need to have today. That's that real vibe you need to have as the kids say. You need to have an attitude towards the Lord that says, no sin will keep me out. I'm a king's kid. I'm a king's kid. I'm redeemed. I'm pure. I'm holy. And I thank you for it, Jesus. Right now, a few more moments, hands raised. Thank Jesus for his blood. Thank Jesus for his forgiveness. Come on, creating me a clean heart. Say it like you mean it. Creating me a clean heart. Addiction, stop today. Foul mouth, stop today in the name of Jesus. Habitual sin is broken in the name of Jesus. Some of you right now, you can speak to the enemy with your authority and say, Satan, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Tell him that he has no right to come back. The devil will try to tempt you in the areas you're weak in. Just let him know right now, I won't give in. Satan, I rebuke you even now. Father, I pray as we get ready to dismiss that our lives will be so transformed and changed that the world around us will ask us what happened. I pray for noticeable change to come to people's lives in this room today. In the name of Jesus. How many if you sin today or sin tomorrow, you're going to have the heart of David? But how many believe you don't have to sin? Come on. If you get that revelation, you'll never be the same again. Yes, if I do sin, I'm going to be like David. Yep, I'm going to do it his way. I'm not going to be like Saul. But you know what? I'm going to try to step out in faith this week and not sin. I'm going to step out in faith this week and not go back to that. I'm going to see if I can live as free from that as if I never did it. A few moments before we go, think about it like this, brothers and sisters. There was a time when you didn't sin that way. And guess what? God is saying, I have a future where it's like that past where you never did it, but this time now you're free. In other words, you're going to go forward different. For example, there was a time you never looked at pornography. Maybe you were a child and you were living a good old life. God says, I'm going to bring you back now to that purity, and now you're going to be free. You'll never be the same again. Some of you, 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 you have these anger issues. You have this bitterness. And God says, I'm going to bring you to a time where it's like you never had it. But you have to be willing to be free now. Father, I pray as we get out of this place, as we move from here, never from your presence, that we take with us what we learned, that we live it out, that we challenge ourselves to go back to these scriptures and understand what salvation means, what forgiveness means, what it, what it looks like to live the Christian life, and help us to share it with others. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord, saints? God bless you. Thank you for coming. We're going to pray if you want prayer. If you want to talk about some of the things you learned, these guys are up here as well to do discipleship. Ben, would you sing that awesome song? Thank you again for coming, for your patience. I know we went a little long. Next week we'll have a guest speaker, the missionary to the Philippines. 
But don't leave out of here until you've gotten prayer if you need it. Or make a commitment from your heart that you're going to be pure today. I want us to sing this in closing with passion today. Those who are receiving prayer, God bless you. Come on, we'll sing it again. And cast me not away.